Hi, Marked listeners. We're planning some exciting things for the future of the podcast, so we want to hear from you. Take our fun survey and give us all of your opinions about Marked to enter for a chance to win a Lifeway Women backpack filled with Bible studies and other great resources for diving into God's Word. To take the survey, go to lifewaywomen.com slash podcast or click on the link in our show notes. We can't wait to hear from you. This is the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. Ready to dive into God's Word with us? Join our next online Bible study. Throughout the year, we'll dive into Lifeway Women's studies that cover a variety of topics and hear from several different amazing Bible teachers. For each study, you can access the teaching videos for a limited time, comment and interact with others walking through the study, and track your progress. See what we're studying next at lifewaywomen.com forward slash OBS. Welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am Elizabeth Hyman, and I am here with my co-host, Kelly King. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Elizabeth. We have such a fun guest today. I'm super excited. And I know this is like one of your wish list guests. So it really I'm is. I'm excited that you get to interview <laughs> Sally Lloyd-Jones. So Sally, welcome to the Mark Podcast. Thank you so much. It's so wonderful for you to have me on. We typically don't have, we don't introduce our guests. We like to have you introduce yourselves. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. So I'm a British, uh, I was born in Uganda, Africa, um, raised in England and the New Forest, um, went to the Sorbonne, worked in London, came to America for just a year, I thought, and I'm still here, <laughs> like over 30 years ago. So that tells you something. And I live in Manhattan now and I, my work is writing stories for children. So I like to say that I have the best bosses in all the world, children, and I get to do the best job, which is tell them stories. Well, yes. I think that's one of the things that we love best about you because we are just like huge fans, even though we're not children. Um, <laughs> we just love children's books. And we know that like the Jesus Storybook Bible, that's just a a crowd favorite and a lot of our listeners they they have it they read it with their children and so we're just curious like what drew you to write for children is there was there a path to getting to, to this area um well I always loved writing ever since I was a child and I didn't know what kind of writing and I used to think you had to be good at every sort of writing to be called a writer which is a complete nonsense because academic writing is very different adult writing is very different there you have your you need to find where you're called so it didn't it took me a long time to find out but the interesting thing is when I was about seven and they I don't know if you've heard this that when you're 
before you become who you think everyone wants you to be when you're about, which is probably when you're about five, six or seven, it's interesting to look back at what you love to do because it will tell you something that's true about you and that will tell you something about what you need in your life, whether it's your job or it's a hobby or something. Well, when I look back at what I was doing when I was seven, I, the first book I ever read all the way through was Edward Lear's The Complete Nonsense, which not, it may not be as familiar in America as it is in England, but Edward Lear, he basically did all the pictures and made up these limericks and they're all nonsense, the complete nonsense it's called. <laughs> and it was a revelation to me because I thought, because I was a very dreamy child and I'd stare out of the window and so I wasn't like top of the class in anything except maybe I was, they liked my stories, but I was never anywhere near the top in maths or anything like that. And I, so I got the idea that books told you how stupid you were. That was my experience because it was school and books. So I read this book and it's like, I had no idea you could have so much fun inside books. Well, basically it took me many, many years to get back to having fun inside books because when I was seven, I would, I read that book and I started making up limericks and um, drawing the pictures and inflicting them on my family and my friends. And now that's basically what I do now. I have fun inside books. And I think bringing that joy to children is my calling, really. That's so fun because I actually, I have the very first story that I wrote in second grade about some ducks that went to go visit the grandparents' duck, the grandparent ducks. And I still have it. <laughs> Because I don't know why, but I, I think that's just, that's really great that you said that because I do think as a child, those are the things that influence you along the way. You know, yeah. And I, my sister, meanwhile, was lining up all her dolls and my youngest sister in rows and teaching them. Well, then she grew up <laughs> to be a teacher. So I think it's very interesting that it's in you when you, you know, it's, I really believe God puts the gifts he wants to use through you in you at an early age, maybe. I mean, it's different for everyone, but for me, that's, so that's a big, long answer to your question. I, I just came back to realizing, oh, what I loved as a seven-year-old told me a lot about how God made me. And um, so writing for children, I didn't come to, I came to it sort of through the back door. I worked in publishing as an editor because I didn't think I was good enough to write because I had this idea that writing was something outside you and you had to sound like a writer, which, you know, Elmore Leonard, I think it was, who said, if you sound like a writer, if I sound like I'm writing, I, I have to rewrite it. <laughs> you should sound like you're writing. You should sound like you're speaking probably, especially in, I think in children's books, because if you're sounding like you're writing, you're probably being a bit too flowery and, you know, drawing attention to yourself. So anyway, I started in publishing and I worked in children's publishing but I was in the school textbook division and down the corridor was all the laughter and it was coming from the children's picture book division. And that was my first job. And I thought, Hmm, that sounds fun. And I'd studied art history. So even though everyone told me it would lead nowhere, it actually is the perfect, better than studying English. It was the perfect training for what I do, which is writing a story told in two languages of word and image. So even though I don't do the pictures to be visual and have that training has been invaluable. So anyway, I worked in publishing and then I got laid off and it's the classic thing. The, be the thing that sounded the worst ended up being the best. I, got, I had to be pushed to take the risk that I was too scared to take, which was, well, I better find out if I can write or not because it's not going away. And that was in 2000. And I started writing and I haven't stopped. So it's God's grace and 
you know, so it, looking back, it looks like a plan, but at the time it just didn't feel at all like a plan. It felt very haphazard. Yeah. I feel like that's a part of so many people's stories is like exactly what you said. Looking back, it looked like it was a plan, but it wasn't at all. I know that's definitely a part of my story. It seems similar where it's just like, yeah, if I look back on it, like clearly God had planned it yeah. and orchestrated yeah. certain events, but I had no idea what I was doing most of the time. Still don't. Exactly. Most of the time. And isn't yeah. it hard, even though we know that when we look back on our own stories, it's very hard in the now to mm-hmm. believe that. But we, you know, if we could keep looking back and going, well, he did it in the past. And right now where it looks like, I don't know what I'm, and nothing seems to be in a plan. There is a plan and I just have to do the next thing, you know? Yes. Well, like you mentioned, um, writing a children's book is very different from writing for adults in in some ways. Some ways, I think it's probably similar, and probably it helped you to have written for children um, to write for adults. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about your process in writing a children's book? Like, what is how do you get your ideas, and how do they make it all the way to paper in words and pictures? Um, well, I have a lot of ideas that didn't go anywhere, and <laughs> You know, they, your best friend as a writer is your waste paper basket. I've heard someone say that. Um, you have to be willing to, you know, throw stuff away. That's a big part of writing is rewriting. So you, your journey is often getting rid of what isn't necessary so the necessary can speak. And that's especially true in children's books, picture books, because every word has to count. A picture book is, you know, as I said, it's a story told in two languages. So if you as the writer... Don't let go of any of your words. Who do you, who suffers? Well, first of all, the illustration suffers because there's no room for an illustration. But then who suffers? It's the child. Because if you insist on your words and there aren't enough illustrations, then it's the child. So one of the great things about picture books is it forces you to look at your, check your ego and put the story before yourself and the child before you showing off. So it's a really good discipline because you keep having to say, does this serve me or does it serve the story? And my whole job really, and I have to keep working at it, is to get out of the way and let the story through. And that often means I might have a very favorite phrase that I'm trying to shoehorn into something. And it's so fascinating because if I do that, Without fail, the editor will say, well, I really like this, but I don't, I don't really like this. And it'll be the thing that I'm so thrilled with that I've shoehorned in and made the whole story distorted because I'm trying to make it work. So, It's like uh, the famous Stephen King quote of kill your darlings. Um, yeah. And I feel like that happens a lot. I've had in my writing, I've had a few little uh, funeral services for some of my <laughs> darlings, my yeah. sentences that I loved. <laughs> I know. What kind of writing do you do? I've done all kinds. So actually, my uh, senior thesis in college was uh, young adult fiction. So kind of similar to the I did a lot of work in the children's space in college, but now um, I mostly edit instead of write. So um, editors make us all look great. (laughs) Yes, I I need an editor whenever I write something. So I love to serve in that role a lot of times for other people, for sure. Yeah, there was something else I wanted to say in answer to your question was some, uh, an editor helped me this because, you know, when my nieces and nephews were very young, it was very easy for me. To, I would be around them and I'd get ideas all the time. And I started thinking, oh no, when they grow up, what will I do? I won't have any ideas. And I was really freed by 
something one of my favorite editors said to me once. She said, I think there are two types of children's book writers. There's the one that has to be around children to get ideas. And certainly, I would say every children's book writer should be around children. Otherwise, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> and you should have doubt on children. But then she said, there's another type that is a child inside. And the minute she said that, I thought, well, that's really, that's it. Because yes, I need to be around children, but where the ideas come from is the child inside. So I write the book from that place and that place of play and wonder. Um, and so that really freed me. So then I, I love to be around children, but I don't have to be frightened that my nieces and nephews are, are now grown up. I can still get ideas because they're in there. Absolutely. So, yeah, and, and I, I think, think oh. yeah, go ahead, Elizabeth. I was going to say, I think that principle can be taken to whatever audience you're writing for or serving is you need to be around them. So a lot of our listeners yeah. might be more in the women's ministry space. So you need to hang out with women, <laughs> you know, yeah. or wherever yeah, you, you are. To, you have to know your business, don't you? Exactly. It's a, I like to tell people who are interested in writing for children first thing you need to know is it's a business and like any business you have to do your homework and get ready and research it it's not like you just sit down and it all flows out well maybe it happens but it didn't happen to me and there are no shortcuts you have to do the work like in any business yeah well one of the things that you said just a minute ago you said you know does it serve me or does it serve the story and so I think that really kind of dovetails into when we talk about like when you think about the Bible and creating the storybook from the Bible, you know, you're, you're not, ser it's not serving you. It's serving the story of Jesus, right? It's serving the story of the gospel. So how did you choose when you were putting that together? How did you choose which stories that you thought were most important or tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question because what you start with a children's book, you have the physical book that you have to start with that a child can hold. We don't think about that with adults. They can have any size of book. I mean, J.K. Rowling had ginormously big books, which was very exciting. But for a little child, you are limited to a certain format. So that immediately sets boundaries on your story, which is helpful. So, so Zondervan, I knew um, that I probably had about 44 stories I could tell if I wanted them a certain length with a certain number. So they were like three spreads each or four spreads sometimes. So I had 44 stories. I had to, my main job was to capture the through line of the Bible because I wanted to make sure that people didn't get the idea it was Aesop's fables with moral lessons, which is, I'm afraid, what I grew up thinking, even though I was a Christian, I still thought the Bible was telling me all these things I had to do so God would love me. I either had to be perfect or, and keep the rules, or I had to be like a hero, like not be scared, like David or Daniel. And I knew I was never going to be not scared. I was too scared. So I grew up thinking that God wasn't really very pleased with me because I wasn't doing it right. And I missed what the Bible was all about. So I, my, one of my main goals was, yes, the Bible has rules in it. They show us how life works best. And yes, there are some heroes, but most of them are not heroes at all. And there is actually only one hero. So the Bible isn't mostly a book of rules or a book of heroes. It's a, most of all a story. And it's this incredible rescue story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. And it takes the whole Bible to tell that story. And at the center of the story, there's the one whose name is whispered in every single story. And so my goal was, I have to connect from the beginning of Genesis all the way to Revelation and show that it's one story because that's what it is. So in order to do that, I had to have certain key stories to connect them. Then I had to have the stories that 
were very good to illustrate because it's a picture book and it had to be, you know, you can't really illustrate some stories like Ecclesiastes, but I could illustrate, there could be illustrations about lions and Daniel. And so that also kind of sorted out and it only left a few that I had a choice about once you put those together. But where I had a choice, like for instance, I could have done Ruth and Boaz, but I chose to do Leah and Rachel. And the reason I did that was because I, well, I knew I wanted stories with girls in it. That was another thing. Um, but, and then I also wanted, I also, so between Ruth and Leah and Rachel, those are two great stories. How did I choose? Well, I chose because at the time I chose the one that moved me most. And the reason Leah and Rachel moved me most was I had a little niece who was about three at the time who lived in the world of fairy tales. You know how those children are. And they come down to breakfast in their tiara and their their ball gown and they never get out of it. And they're, they're just living in that world of fairy tales. But she was also in a play group and she'd already been called ugly. And she wasn't ugly. She was beautiful. And it broke my heart. And I remember thinking, and I was in the middle of writing the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I remember thinking, oh, it's so awful. She's going to find out the fairy tale isn't true. And the minute I said that, another thought came in. And the thought was, well, what if the fairy tale is true? And there is a prince. We know there is a prince. And we were never meant to die. And that we can be awoken with a kiss. And that we're meant to live forever. And that there's someone who loves us with that sort of love. And then I thought, oh, okay. Well, Leah and Rachel. Leah was the one who was never chosen, was always left out, was called ugly. What if I do a story about that and show my niece that there is a fairy tale and it does come true? And it's the true fairy tale of the gospel. It's not, it's the, the, the true story that all the other stories are pointing to. So that's why I chose Leah and Rachel. And it's because I think it was Frost who said, no tears in the writer, no tears in the reader. So if you, it's not that you're supposed to be all sentimental, but you're supposed to write from something that moves you that's true. And then mysteriously, it has the same impact on the reader. Mm. So that's the long answer. I love that. I probably will not read Rachel and Leah the same way. Mm. That's one of the things that I loved in reading the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I just told Kelly, I actually just read it all the way through because I've read I've read little pieces of it here and there, but I haven't like sat down and read it from beginning to end um, until last night. And so I did that and I was just like, this is just such a beautiful love story. And, and I love that you kept connecting the thread um, all the way from the very beginning to the end of Jesus. And this is the best story ever. And we are actually a part of it. And so um, I would recommend it as an excellent baby shower gift if any of our listeners have, and we'll have links in the show notes to get it. Um, but I, I tend to give that at baby showers because I feel like every little kid needs a Jesus storybook Bible so they can learn the truth of this story. That is the story um, of our world. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think what's so, you know, what, what has blown us all away is how many adults have responded. And I think it's because the Bible is such a long book and it's such a, you can, if you try and read it from the beginning, it's sometimes very hard. I mean, it's worth doing, but you can, if you do that without knowing the whole through story, you can get lost. And so the, none of us planned this, but I think the, the clever way God uses this book is, it's like a sort of di- a reader's digest version. It's like a, you get the high points that you get the through story. So you have a map. And when do you ever get to read the whole Bible in one sitting? 
Whereas in this book, you can read it in one sitting and, and understand what it really is so that you're not bogged down when you get to the rules and all the terrible things that are happening in the Old Testament, you know, which are basically, as Kathy Keller likes to say, it's like one long thing of showing you how we keep saying we're going to do it right this time and we keep failing. It's like one long record, glorious record of God's people's failure to ever live up to even their own standards, let alone God's. So that by the time the New Testament comes, we're, we're longing for someone who can actually live the life we're supposed to live because we're hopeless. So I love that, that context too, that the Old Testament is not telling you what to do with these terrible things that are happening. It's showing you how we are as people and how human nature is. I think too, there's a lot of women out there that maybe didn't grow up in church. They didn't grow up with the Bible. And so they never really heard the stories. And so a lot of times when they have children and they pick up, you know, the Jesus story Bible, like for them, it is, it's, it's a new thing for them. And they begin to understand the Bible in a whole new way, which is um, such a great way for a mom to, to be reading that with her child and grasping the truth herself. Yes, I love that, that the child in us can respond with the child so that we're both, because we're all children, God's children. So we're all in that place of needing, you know, they're just littler than us, but we're all children with God. Yes. Well, I'm going to change the subject just a little bit, but this still has to do with the stories in the Bible. So uh, we got to get copies of one of your newer projects, which is not a children's book, but it's called Faithful. And so can you tell us a little bit about that project? I know it's like a multi-part thing. There were there was music and a book. Yeah. Just tell us a little bit about that. Yes, it's a wonderful project which brought to, together women, women songwriters, singer-songwriters, women writers, and brought them all together to celebrate women in the Bible. So it was this lovely focus on God's work through and in women in the Bible and with women, fellow women. So it was a lovely new way of bringing a new light onto the stories. And we all got together and we had various different sort of two-day camps, and we were paired at a writer was paired with two single songwriters and we went into a room and we had the day to work on a song, come up with a song. The first person I sat down with was <laughs> Amy Grant and Krista Wells. And I was like, oh my word. I was completely like, how am I going to write a song with Amy Grant? Good heavens. But she's so, the lovely thing about this was, it was again, not about personalities. It was all of us coming together to try and serve the story and really celebrate what, we learned about these women and it was very powerful. And then we, the next day we, they performed, not we, they performed the song. And then along with this came a book and the writers were given the brief of which woman would you like to write about? And you each wrote a chapter and then they did a live stream. We were going to go on tour, but with COVID there was a live stream where it was, the songs were performed and the reading, some of the readings were read. So it's been beautiful. And it raises money for compassion for children. So that's just even yes. the topping, you know. Yeah. Compassion is one of our sponsors here at for our Lifeway Women event. Oh, I love uh, that. They do such great work. They really do. Well, we thought it was interesting that you got to write about Eve and you didn't just write a story, like you wrote a poem. So we were, Elizabeth and I were thinking, you know, why did you choose 
poetry to tell the story. And probably one of my favorite lines in it is that you said, Eve, you're not the worst of us. You're just the first of us. <laughs> yes. Well, I was, I was thinking, poor Eve, she gets such a, all the blame. Well, not really. We probably don't. But I mean, generally, she gets the blame. And I just, as I studied the, those first few chapters, it was just moving and read commentaries and learned from people who've studied the scriptures so deep, like D.A. Carson and Tim Keller and various teachers. I was just blown away by God's mercy again, that even in the beginning when he wasn't surprised, but when we chose basically, oh, we don't need you to be happy, we can make ourselves happy, which is the ultimate, really what happened in the garden. He moved, instead of moving away, he moved towards and he made this promise. First of all, he clothes them before they have to leave the garden because he knows the worst thing that could happen is that you would live in suffering forever. So he had to force them out of the garden, otherwise they'd live forever. So he, out of his mercy, he clothes them. So, and then he makes this promise and he makes the promise to Eve, from your seed will come the rescuer. So he's basically saying all the things that you think right now is hopeless, I'm going to find a way and I'm not going to rest until I come and undo this terrible thing that's happened. I'm going to get rid of death. I'm going to get rid of sadness. He does all of this right at the beginning. And I just thought, wow, we missed the whole point. God isn't, he's not surprised and he doesn't blame Eve. In fact, he comes for towards Eve like he does to all of us. That we're sinners and he saves us even when, the, when we're running from him and rebelling. It's that kind of love. So that's what blew me away. And I, early on, because I'm not an essay writer, I said to the editors, you know, I'm happy to do this, but I have to do what I do. I can't try and be, you wouldn't, it wouldn't be good if I try and be someone I'm not, which is another thing. You have to write what only you can write. You can't try and write what someone else would write because they'd do a much better job. So they were lovely. And they said, well, you write, no, absolutely write what you're comfortable writing. And, you know, really my, my writing is very lyrical and picture books are like poems. So I think poetry came more naturally to me than writing an essay. So that's, that's why I wrote in that form. I feel like this whole episode is just so encouraging. <laughs> um, but oh, when so. you wrote as a poet, so you primarily write poetry. I mean, children's books a lot of times have a poetic element to them if they're not exactly a poem. Um, but did songwriting then, when you worked with the songwriters, did that come more naturally, do you think? And what was the biggest challenge in those genres? I think in crossing genres. Yeah. Well, I think it, yes, I had realized a few years before because I've done a lot of, I perform, I mean, it sounds weird, but I read my work, perform my work alongside musicians. And we put together a, a story told in three languages for an evening program. So it's sort of like word, image and music. So it's a beautifully rich thing. So I'd been doing that for several years. So I knew that I, sh my children's book writer, picture book writers share a lot in common because like songwriters are telling a story in two languages too, word and music. So it did come very easily in that sense. And I also think picture books like songs, every word counts. And your whole job is to distill down to the essentials. And really you should, a picture book that's really, really good. Margaret Wise Brown, who wrote Runaway Bunny and Goodnight Moon, she said a good picture book should almost be able to be whistled because 
it is like music. It's, it's, read, it's written to be read by aloud. So it's written for the ear as much as the eye. So in many ways, it's like a song. And if, if you're doing a good picture book, because someone said it's very easy to write a bad picture book, it's very hard to write a good picture book because every single word should count. And if you remove a word, it shouldn't work. It's that lean, just like a poem. So that made it maybe more easy. But I was blown away by the whole craft of the musicians and understanding that what they're looking for. And I learned so much. And no, it was just, it was wonderful. It's lovely to work with artists and see their expertise, you know. And so I felt really grateful to be learning so much from them and the, the magical thing that happens where suddenly they put a tune and suddenly they're performing it, you know, a day after you wrote it. So it's incredible. Yes, that sounds like that would be amazing to be able to be a part of that. Elizabeth and I, we've kind of said that if there was an if there was a project that we were yeah. just a little jealous that we couldn't be sitting in the room, this might have been a project that Elizabeth and I yeah. would have liked to have just been like, can we just sit and listen? Can well, we I just- think that the hope was it would become a big community. So this was just the start of something. So the idea was that to welcome as many people as possible. So I think it's just the there, beginning. There's good news, Kelly. So. There's hope for us. <laughs> Maybe we'll make it in eventually. But yeah, I um, love that you said that about children's books as well as poetry and songwriting. Um, that's one of my classes in undergrad. So I was an English writing major in undergrad. Um, and mm-hmm. one of my classes was poetry and everybody, like unless they wanted to be a poet, they were kind of like, why do we have to take this class? This is you know, I hate having to take poetry, but it taught us um, that every word counts, like you said. And so I think that's an important thing to take no matter what you're writing. Um, And I know a lot of our listeners probably have dabbled in writing or want to become a writer. And so this is going to be really helpful and encouraging to them, I think, uh, to hear your tips. Um, Yes, I think one of the things I love to say is, I think it was Miles Davis said, listen to what I can leave Mm -hmm. out. And that really is the key, rewriting. Writing is rewriting. And what can you leave out? And it's, you know, it's not about sitting down and it's all flowing. If someone says that to me, I I just think, I'm sorry, that's not real writing because it's really hard. It may flow out, but then you've got a lot of stuff to cut out, at least in my experience. And I just love the idea. You know, Pascal said, he apologized for writing a long letter. He said, I'm sorry I made it so long. I didn't have enough time to make it short. So it takes a long time to be short and it, and being simple isn't simple. I, that's really helpful to me because one of the things that I do here at Lifeway is um, I manage uh, our magazines and devotionals. And so I have to write a, a short column in the front of our women's devotional and it's only 200 words a month. And so sometimes I just kind of have to word, you know, spill you know, for a little bit. And then it is, it's like a process of going, okay, I've got to cut out half of this or cut out whatever. And it, it's a, it is a, it's a painful process to figure out what you have to take out. And yet sometimes, sometimes and that's when the whole thing comes alive. When you, when you cut the thing that you didn't know you could cut, you can feel it. You can feel exactly. the power like, Oh wow, it's coming alive, but it's so hard to do. And I don't think it gets easier. At least I don't find it gets easier. Mm. Yes. <laughs> well, Sally, one of the questions we always ask our, our guests um, because we are the Mark podcast, so we always ask our guests, "What is something that has marked you in your walk with Christ?" I am well. I think it goes back to the grace that you know. It's so hard to remember this because we're so convinced that we can make ourselves happy or 
you know, I was just in a Bible study right now, just now, and we were talking about sometimes the the worst thing God can do is give you success because then you can start to believe that oh yes, look, I'm I'm the one. I did that. I did that. Whereas you know, if you're having difficulties and no one wants difficulties, but when you're in difficulty, there's no doubt that you cling to God. So I think I I just love that God keeps telling us grace comes before work. So he loves us before we're doing anything right. So I just love that changed my life when I realized the Bible wasn't about how good I am or how bad I am. It's only about how great God is and how full of love he is. And he's the one who comes to rescue us. And why does he rescue us? So we can have life in all its abundance. So that, that's life-changing because that's so filled with joy. And out of that, then you can change. But the other way is so, like, awful and cramped. And, you know, if it's up to us, what hope do we have, you know? So I'm very, yeah, I, I don't, and that sounds so obvious. I, I think no. obvious is good. Oh. I have to keep learning it. Yes, we we kind of laugh at how everyone answers the question differently and almost everyone says, I'm sure everyone says this, but it's this. Um, so we just love to see how God marks each of our lives so differently and so uniquely. Um, and it's a beautiful thing because he speaks to us as individuals and that is a beautiful thing. And so thank you for sharing and for all your writing tips. I am definitely a writing nerd and have just loved this entire conversation. <laughs> well, I just, I was encouraged, you know, when I was starting, I'm still encouraged by people. So I think the thing is we need someone, one like time a librarian said to me, we don't need another fill in the blank, whatever, JK Browning, whatever. She said, that's already been done. We need you. We need your voice. So I would say the same. If you feel called to write, then learn the craft do your excellent work and remember we need your voice so um again we just have to get out of the way and let god up do it through us thank you so much sally we really have enjoyed our conversation with you oh i i've had so much fun with you guys thank you so much for having me anytime we'll 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 try to have you back right elizabeth we can just like we'll have sally like once a year or something we could do that okay that would be fun Yeah. Well, thanks, listeners, for joining us today, and we hope that you'll join us again next week. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at E.D. Heinemann. Use the hashtag MarkedPodcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at LifewayWomen.com slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast. We'll see you next time. Home should be a place where we feel at peace, where we can be ourselves, where we feel loved. For a lot of us, though, home is a place of heartache, hurt, and loneliness. 
As believers, Christ promises us an eternal home. But what does that actually look like? And how do we deal with our current homesickness? I recently wrote a Bible study called Come Home for Women, and I'm so excited that Come Home will also be available for teen girls. It's perfect for small groups, helps girls answer important questions, and gives us a richer understanding of what kind of home God's building for us. The release date for Come Home for teen girls is August 1st, but you can pre-order it now at lifeway.com slash come home. Don't miss out on this opportunity to help girls belong and be loved. Again, you can pre-order it today at lifeway.com slash come home.